Kids are dismissed at this time. And we're going to be in Luke chapter 2 today. 1 and 2. Um, hey, uh, actually, Luke 1. <laughs> uh, Christmas is a great time of year. Everyone has their Christmas foods that, you know, it wouldn't be the Christmas season if, it were, if this food was absent. Maybe at grand, grandma's house or, or uh, at, at your home of upbringing. And for me, it would be like pepper cocker and uh, um, corv, we called it, which is you stuff meat into tube, you know, that type. What do you call that? Potato sausage? No. Uh, so, it, so we had our favorite foods, and it was awesome. Um, but if we're not careful, if we eat too much of those favorite foods, then we put on the extra four or five pounds. Um, there's a good fat and a bad fat. Uh, the bad fat is that from calories we talked about last week. But the good fat is the type of fat that Jesus looked for in his disciples. And uh, they were faithful, available, and teachable. They were fat. And that's who Jesus chose uh, for example, though, we could uh, have one of these characteristics without the other two, and perhaps Jesus wouldn't have chosen them. Perhaps we could be faithful without being available. You, you, you could say, I love Jesus, you know, and I have my quiet time every day, but I don't, don't ask me to commit to other people or to being with people and fellowship because my schedule is way too packed. I can do it on my, on my own, on my chair in the morning, but that's it. Or it's possible to be teachable without being faithful, without faithfully living out what we read. You know, we have our quiet time, and yeah, we got our time in, check. But we don't really live it out. Like James says, faith without works is dead. Or we could possibly be faithful and available, but not teachable. I'm faithful to go to Bible studies and small groups and church and all this. Um, but don't ever think about questioning my convictions and changing the way I think about my the- theology because if you do, you throw me into disequilibrium and I'll get angry. We're not teachable. Well, Jesus looked for all three characteristics, faithful, available, and teachable. And those are the types of people that he used in, in his story of incarnation when God became man on their first Christmas. God's primary players were faithful, available, and teachable. We explored Joseph last week. And this week, though, we're going to look at Mary from Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. Luke 126. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth in town of Galilee, in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Now, when you think of someone who's highly favored, uh, someone in your past or maybe someone in your present that you really respect, who do you think of who's highly favored? God's favor rests upon them. The word favored, though, is a Greek word named karato, karato, and it simply means to be graced, to be graced, to receive an undeserved gift. You know, and, and so someone may be highly favored, and we think, oh, man, great characteristics, but it is ultimately a gift from God. Mary was highly favored in grace, not because she was extraordinary. No, she was just an ordinary girl from an ordinary place. And the same word favored was used um, for all of us. Um, 
Ephesians 1, 6, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in, in the beloved. This word glorious grace is the same word for highly favored. Um, to the praise of his glorious grace, which we have been blessed. God's favor has been freely given to each one of us. If we are children of God, then we are highly favored. God uses people first and foremost because they're favored and graced by him. It's a gift. But even with these encouraging words from the angel, Mary would have been greatly troubled in verse 29. uh, She would have been greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be from the angel. Greatly troubled means alarmed and disturbed and afraid. Why would she be greatly troubled? This was a message from God. Well, have you ever woken up in the middle of the night and seen a shadow? Or even more so, a bright figure just glowing, extraterrestrial being just glowing. This was not like Roma Downey from Touched by an Angel or Michael Landon from Highway to Heaven. This would have been Gabriel. He would have been ominous. He would have been big, tall, strong, unearthly in a sense. Verse 30, but the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's house of David forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary, you're going to be given a son, and he's going to be awesome. He's going to be fully human. You're going to name him Jesus, which means God saves you're gonna, he, he'll be fully divine, though, Mary. He's going to be God. He's going to be the Son of the Most High. He's going to be royal, a royal king from the throne of David, and he's going to reign eternally. His kingdom will never end. Mary understood this to be the Savior, the Messiah, the, the promised one would be coming to her. So Mary could have thought, though, uh, I think you've got the wrong girl. Why me? There's nothing extraordinary about me. I'm from a little obscure town called Nazareth. Can anything good come from Nazareth? 300 people. Uh, I'm in my home. I'm not worshiping. I'm not in church. I'm not in the temple. And yet you give me a message right here. And furthermore, I'm a female. Uh, Females back then, women had very few rights. And plus, I'm young. I'm pledged to be married I'm about 14 years old, probably, because the average lifespan in those days would have been 40 years plus. And so young girls would be, right outside of puberty, would have been marriageable. And this is what Mary would have been, most likely. And plus, I'm poor. You know, Joseph and Mary would have to offer two doves rather than the sacrificial lamb at, at, uh, in the temple just days after his birth, because they were too poor to afford a lamb. But most importantly, Angel, you got this wrong. I'm a virgin. I've never been with a man before. It'd be impossible. Mary could have objected, who do you think I am? Or what's my fiance going to think? How is he going to treat me when he hears that I'm pregnant? Or where am I supposed to go and hide from the people? The rumor mill will start. But instead, Mary responded in verse 34, How will this be since I am a virgin? This statement may appear to be one of doubt or questioning, but it's really one of faith. 
It's a childlike faith that Mary demonstrated. Not how can this be, but how will this be? How will this take place since I'm a virgin? I've never been with a man. How is it going to happen? If every believer, like Mary, is highly favored, then why don't we experience the same type of life that she did and and blessing that she did upon her life? Is it perhaps because even though we're highly favored, we don't appropriate God's favor or his grace in our lives like Mary did? In other words, Mary said yes to God. She said yes. Mary was faithful to God, and she continued to say yes throughout her life. Our daughter, Matea, said yes to the dress just a couple of weeks ago when we were in Manhattan, Kansas, where they live, after she got engaged. And, and so they're engaged to be married. And when she and her fiancé will soon say, I do, uh, to one another, then they will be blessed by this gift we call marriage. And marriage comes with many blessings, but it also comes with quite a few responsibilities, many daily commitments. Saying yes to your spouse means saying no to all of the other unfortunate people who could have ended up with you. When Mary said yes to God, it meant that she would have to say no to many other things like living the single carefree life before children or like guaranteeing a good reputation for herself. You know, unmarried, unexpected teenagers in the first century of Israel would not get someone a guest spot on MTV's 16 and Pregnant. They would have instead faced scorn from their hometown people in that culture. Um, Saying yes to God meant saying no to living comfortably wherever Mary so desired to live. You know, I'm, I'm footloose and fan, fancy free. I think I'm going to go live there. I'm going to go out to the West Coast for a while and then the East Coast and go over to Europe. And instead, Mary would say yes to God and she, she and Joseph and her child would be directed from Nazareth to Bethlehem, from Bethlehem to Egypt, from Egypt to back to Bethlehem, and from Bethlehem again back to Nazareth. A lot of travel, as we looked at last week. She would have to say no to celebrating the joy of her son's marriage one day and watching him start a family and then perhaps enjoying uh, Joseph and Mary's grandchildren to come up, or or Jesus' grandchildren or, or whatnot, and come over and play at grandma's house. She would have to say no to perhaps a long life that she had hoped for for her son Jesus. Saying yes to God meant that God's plans would be played out in God's ways and not in Mary's ways. This truth would be further driven home by Simeon in the temple when uh, this old man would meet Joseph and Mary when they were dedicating their child to the temple at days old. And we read in Luke 2, Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken of against so that the thoughts of your hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too, Mary. Oh, thank you. Thank you for this wonderful news, Simeon. I mean, how many of you received a Hallmark Christmas card with this lovely sentiment? Merry Christmas and may a sword pierce your soul this next year. For Mary, saying yes to God meant that she would have to embrace pain. But she somehow knew that it would be worth it. 
It's always worth it to faithfully follow God, even when we don't know or comprehend what he's doing in our lives. For example, can you think of times back in your life when, when you experienced really painful times? I mean, really stressful, painful times. You think, God, what are you doing? Where have I gone wrong? But then now sitting here today, looking back to those times, you can now see that God was at work. He was shaping us. He was teaching us things. He was um, molding us into the people that he wanted us to be, whatnot. And so we can say, thank you, Lord. For example, um, when I was in college, there were couple girls who I thought, man, there's, there's Mr. Mrs. Wright for me, you know. There's Miss, Miss Wright. Maybe she's the one I'm supposed to marry and whatnot. And, and, and so I kind of pursued them a little bit, but then they ultimately dumped me or they gave me, they ignored me or whatnot. And it was sort of disappointing, right? But it wasn't a few years after I graduated from my Christian college where I was supposed to meet the right person that I met Lynn. And I, I, looking back, I thought, oh, thank you, Lord, for saying no to these other women who would have fell over and married me at a, just, no, that I would have, <laughs> thank you for saying no to these women, because you were reserving someone far better for me, um, far better fit. Well, Mary remained faithful to God and faithful to raising her son, and she remained faithful from the moment she conceived him to the moment that she was standing before the cross, weeping as he was dying before her, and her heart was being pierced because she knew that this was the Savior, even though she didn't understand what was going on. And then just a couple days later, Jesus was alive again forevermore. Mary was faithful to God throughout her life, and therefore God used her. And God chose Mary because, secondly, because she was available. And we can see this by her response when she said, how will this be since I'm only a virgin? Not how can this be? In verse 38, she also said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. In other words, I'm available. Here I am, God. Send me. Now contrast Mary's response with her cousin's husband, Zechariah, um, just six months later. In verse 18 of chapter 1, Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure this, of this? How can I be sure? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. In other words, Zechariah, when he was also given this visitation from an angel of God, said, you're going to have a son. He said, how can this be? This is not possible. Elizabeth and I are way too old. We've prayed about this for years and years and years, and we only heard silence. This can't happen now. And because of Zechariah's doubt in his heart, he would be struck with muteness for the duration of his wife's pregnancy. And by the way, can you tell me why we don't ever have Zechariah and Elizabeth in our manger scenes? They're part of the Christmas story. We should insert a couple old people and a guy with tape over his mouth because he couldn't speak, you know. Well, Zechariah would have had every advantage, though, over Mary because Zechariah was experienced. He was a priest. He was one of 20,000 priests in the land of Israel. Furthermore, the angel Gabriel appeared while he was serving as a priest in the temple. Many priests wouldn't have given that opportunity during the lifetime. 
But he was chosen for such a time as this. And that's when the angel appeared to him, when he was worshiping and leading as a priest in the temple. And he had prayed this specific prayer for years. And God answered him specifically about this child that they prayed for. I've heard your prayers. And he knew the story of Abraham and Sarah by heart. He taught it. They had a child in their twilight years as well. And yet, even though he taught this truth, he wouldn't believe So he was struck with muteness until the birth of his child, John, John the Baptist. The angel's answer to Mary's question would have given her encouragement in verse 35. The Holy Spirit will come on you, Mary, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, for no word from God will ever fail. In other words, Mary, it is impossible in the human flesh, but this is not a natural event. It's supernatural. And you'll be empowered by the Holy Spirit of God. And that made all the difference for Mary. There are 16,000 students who met in Washington, D.C. On the, on the mall there for, uh, for a Christian youth rally some time ago. And, um, and the planners had set up the stage and, uh, beforehand and, and the speaker was ready to go on and, and the band set up their equipment ready to blast sound and music in, in, in this immense mall in Washington, D.C. But an hour or two before the rally was to begin, there was a major power outage in Washington, D.C., And all the federal buildings were emptied out. People stood on the steps of these federal buildings by the thousands. Uh, Some folks were trapped in elevators between floors. All the subways stopped. Um, They couldn't even make the electric bell sound when it convened in the U.S. Senate. And that day they convened the Senate literally by banging a trash can lid. And someone thought, well, that's somehow appropriate for the Senate. But even without any power, the rally went on uh, because there was a greater power source available. And that power source was fortunately thought of in advance by the planners. They had secured a huge, giant generator. And so while all of Washington, D.C. shut down, the youth rally went on. There's a greater power source. Well, Mary heard the angel's response of her availability because... She had discerned that there was a greater power source, the Holy Spirit of God. And Mary, therefore, would be given a greater peace and assurance and willingness to accept what she was asked. Verse 38, she said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. Now, this word in the Greek for servant is the lowest form of a female servant, or just a servant, um, bond servant. Servitude was a very common uh, practice during these days. In fact, a great huge percentage of the population served as servants in households, primarily to work off debts that they owed people, and they would um, sign up to be servants or even slaves, they were called, uh, for six years. And at the end of six years, uh, the debt would be completely forgiven, and they were were, by law, were commanded to be set free after six years. Whether they had earned enough money or not, they were set free, and that was God's law to protect them. But 
if there were, if there were a slave or a servant that said, I, I love my master, I love my, don't think of Civil War days, it was way different, um, indentured serv- servitude. Uh, and I want to remain with this family because they treat me well and I'm able to make a good living here. And so they would sign up to be a bond servant for life. And so they would take an awl and they'd put it in the ear and they'd put it on the door frame and boom, pound a hole in the ear, put a ring through it, indicating that I am a bond servant to this family for life. And this is the word that Mary was using when she said, I am the Lord's servant, bond servant. May it be to me as you have said. Lord, I am your servant for life. My life belongs to you. Even though I may not understand all that you ask of me, even though my, a sword will pierce my soul one day, um, I'm gonna sign up and I'm gonna say yes. Even though I may not understand or I may lose certain freedoms, I may lose my reputation, I will say yes to you because I am available. I am your bond servant. And her son Jesus would grow up and teach us to pray, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Because God looks for people who are available. I wonder if you have this attitude every morning you wake up. Lord, I'm available. I belong to you. I'm your bondservant. Whatever I have planned, Lord, are secondary to what you have planned for me. So I will welcome interruptions or or times of confusion because I belong to you and I know that you are sovereignly in control over me because I belong to you. And then finally, Mary was teachable. Mary understood that the world is a very corrupt and scary place, painful place. As as a woman, she would have known all too well the fear and the pain of living under the Roman Empire's grip. The occupation of the Romans who uh, held a great position in Nazareth. There were even Roman baths in Nazareth where the Roman soldiers would enjoy themselves and have their way with people, if you will. And have you ever wondered why there are so many women named Mary in the Bible? John 19, standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, Mary, and his mother's sister, and Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary of Magdala. There are three Marys right there. Why so many Marys? When babies were born back then, they, were, they would be assigned names that would fit their circumstances. M- names meant something. And Mary means Mara in Greek, which is the word for bitter. Or a derivative of Mary would be Molly. It means bitter. It's a girl. Oh, honey, I'm so sorry that, oh, that you're, you have to be born into this dangerous and cruel world, uh, a world that's under the evil control of the Greco-Roman Empire Oh, honey, it's going to be a difficult time for you. We're going to love you, but, oh, we're going to call you Mary. Boaz Johnson, who's a Bible um, um, scholar, Old Testament scholar especially, he said the, the Romans would practice a familiar wartime method of forcing others into sexual servitude, therefore keeping them imprisoned to those over them. A method would have, they would have learned from the uh, previous um, empires of Assyria, Babylon, and Persia, 
now before the Roman Empire. But the Romans, they continued to practice the same practice, but they took it to a new level of intensity. What they did was the Roman soldiers were encouraged to cap, uh, capture young boys or young girls or women and especially virgins and rape them, have their way with them, and ultimately uh, for the purpose of eliminating the purity of the Jewish race, to contaminate their race. And, and this is what happened uh, in the Babylonian and Assyrian times when, when Israel, the Jews, were taking captivity to the other lands. They would leave behind the lower class Jews and, and take the upper class and use them in their places, you know, in Babylon or Assyria. And then they would instruct their soldiers to remain behind in Jerusalem and Israel and, again, have their way with the women in order to depurify or contaminate their race. And they were successful in doing so, and that's where we get the Samaritans, who are half Jew and half Gentile. And they were looked upon by the pure Jews of Israel. They were looked down upon because they were not pure Jews, those who lived north of Jerusalem. They were seen as inferior in those days. And yet Mary, even though she was born into a very bitter world, she said, I'm going to trust in you, God, and your word, because you said a Messiah is coming, a Savior is coming, to rescue your people from slavery. And Mary would have been a student of God's word, and we know this by what she sang in verse 50. She said, My, his mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, she knew God's word. He has, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost beings. He has brought down rulers. She knew her stories. He's brought down rulers like Nebuchadnezzar. He has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things. And Mary said, Mary was hungry for God and for his word. There are over 15 Old Testament quotes that come from Mary's Magnificat, this song, and eight times what God has done for his people. My son's going to grow up, and he's going to teach, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who are pure in heart. I have a single-mindedness, a purity in thought, and that is to love God and love his word and obey it. And Mary would have been well acquainted with many stories going back from creation to Noah to Abraham and Sarah to Moses and Jacob and David and Elijah and all the other prophets. And so in verse 54, she said, he has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he's promised our ancestors. And then Mary would not stop at this knowledge. She would apply it, these timeless promises to her life because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God has promised that the Savior would be born to the world and the Savior is promised to me. Matthew 1.46, Mary said, My soul glorifies in the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant speaking of herself, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Well, our world is still a mess, and it's still under the power of the enemy, if you will. 
But God sent his son not to release us from the presence of evil, but to release us from the power of evil, namely sin and death in our lives. Not the Roman emperors or the Republicans or the Democrats or the independents. God, he's he's come to rescue us from our our sin. Um, And as I mentioned last week, we see evidence of what he's doing all all around the world. 16,000 Africans every day, over 16,000 are coming to Christ through the revivals that's happening now in Africa. Great things are happening in the Middle East too. And at the men's Bible study a couple of weeks ago, I played this guy's testimony. Um, He was a Hezbollah leader for years, and he was responsible for the hanging of the infidels and his enemies. And and he was wanting to please Allah so much. He was so dedicated to Allah. And we had to conquer the world and all this. Well, somehow he got arrested. And when he was in jail, he's praying out to Allah. But Allah didn't appear, but a man in white appeared. Who are you? He said, I'm Jesus Christ. And then at, that, at the moment of those words, he just began to shake and weep and say, oh, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. He said over and over again, because he knew that as a Muslim, he could not be guaranteed forgiveness. And he didn't know how he could be forgiven because his conscience was so seared. And he said, I knew I wasn't just. I knew I wasn't just for doing all the evil that I'd done. But then Jesus put his hand on his shoulder and said, I forgive you three times. He said, oh, I just, I just wept. I began weeping. He said, I just fell to the ground like a, like a slab of meat, he said, because I, as if my bones became, whatever, soft. He just fell to the ground, and his life was radically changed for Christ. And now he ministers around the world for Christ. And he's a marked man because he's a former Muslim, but he is faithful, and he's available, and he's teachable. There are tens of thousands of testimonies about this from those who have met the man in white named Jesus. God used Mary because she was faithful, available, and teachable. And he will continue to use us if we're all three of those. So let's pray for God's grace uh, to make us so as we offer ourselves, avail ourselves to him this morning. So Lord Jesus, We thank you that you use Mary and Joseph and and the others in your story because they were indeed faithful, available, and teachable. They may not have been the most qualified people from this world standpoint. In fact, your word says you choose the fools to shame the wise, the things that are weak to shame those that are strong. Lord, you choose us when we don't feel like we deserve it, when we don't feel qualified, simply because... We voice to you, we are faithful, we're available, and we'll continue to follow you and be teachable, Lord, each and every day. We can all do this, Lord. And so once again, during this Christmas Advent season, we offer ourselves to you anew and pray, Lord, use us. Amen.